0: blue state officials look to model gun bills after the controversial texas abortion law and an interview with gun salesman turned gun control activist ryan goosey that and more on this episode of the weekly reload podcast i made the devil run i gave him poison just for fun i had one. welcome to another episode of the weekly reload podcast my name is Stephen gutowski i'm the host i'm also the founder of the reload.com where you can buy a membership today if you support this sober serious journalism that we produce here uh, and you will get a host of perks including early access to this very podcast uh, as well as the the chance to ask questions of some of our guests and appear on the podcast too those are always fun segments uh, and, and you will also get exclusive access to dozens of uh, reports and analysis pieces that are not available to the public. So go on over and check out what we've got available today. As far as deals go, we were having a, a 20% sale this week. So uh, we don't do that every <laughs> every month or anything. So uh, make sure you get the last slots that are available on that. Um, today, we're going to be speaking with Ryan uh, Boosie of the author of Gunfight, my battle against the industry that ratifies America, is currently a uh, senior advisor to Giffords, uh, one of the uh, organizations that advocates for stricter gun laws in the United States. So, Ryan, if you could just introduce yourself to the audience uh, a little bit for people who might not know who you are. Sure. Um, and thanks for having me on, Stephen. Um,
1: I appreciate your thoughtful approach and your podcast. Um have listened to it many times. So thanks for having me on. I spent, uh, well, first, I I grew up on a ranch in Western Kansas. Um, Firearms were a part of my life from early on, um, from when I was a very young boy. Uh, Many of the best parts of my life have been spent with guns with my father and my brother and my own sons. Um, I continue to own and use guns. After my childhood on the ranch and graduating from college, I obtained a job at a small fledgling firearms manufacturer, Kimber, uh, very small at the time. Um, I spent 25 years in the firearms industry, um, 25 years and four days, I think, to be exact. Um, And for the first part of that, and for much of my career, um, it was a, it was a dream for me um, to do the thing, to be in and around the things, firearms and, and the activities that I loved so much as a kid and still love today. Um however, there were very troubling developments in my opinion and and um throughout my history in the industry and and I kind of have not had an epiphany through part of my career. Eventually I when I got out of the industry just about a year, a little over a year ago, um I wrote a book about my time, um, some of the things that troubled me and um I suppose <laughs> that's that's not an accident that's why we're chatting here today but the the title of the book is is gunfight and it, and the subtitle is my battle against the industry that radicalized America so you can um you can sort of glean some of my concerns um and and I believe the concerns of responsible gun owners about what the industry did and became where it what it has abandoned and where we are today
0: yeah uh obviously you're not you're not shy about your position on on the industry or some of the people you work with or the NRA or uh, a whole host of 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 different people inside the gun world um I I listened to the entire book on Audible so actually I think you uh, narrated the okay. <laughs> Uh, which is yeah, so yeah very interesting. You.
1: you have to you have to audition for reading your own book, which I somehow I squeak through. But yeah, that's
0: very interesting. <laughs> yes, uh, so I guess I've listened to you uh, for several hours yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to this point already. But but uh, you know so obviously we're uh, this podcast is not a cable news show. I'm not going. I didn't bring you here to like have a shouting match with you. <laughs> that's not how we operate. And so I want to be fair and give you as much. Uh, opportunity to uh, put your point of view as forward as possible, uh, and then I will be obviously could you know critiquing some of the things that that I found in the book. Sure. More, I, I think more the overall themes are some of the areas where I had the biggest issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this book reads to me like a converts zeal to enact retribution against uh, the people you previously aligned with, mm-hmm. uh, like, I, that, that, that's probably harsh, but that's how it came across to me. And um, it, it's, uh, there, it's not that I don't think there's any legitimate criticisms of the industry or the, the gun rights movement or the NRA. Obviously, I've been um, at the forefront of reporting on some of the corruption inside of the NRA itself. And um, I don't think there's, there's probably areas that we would have some, uh, you know, ag- agreement on the culture or the the approach, the, re- the rhetoric especially of some people in the industry and the and rights movement. But the, my biggest problem with the, the book is uh, that you're kind of doing the same thing now from the other direction. Uh, when I read the book, I, you know, I, I get a lot of uh, demonization of, um, gun owners, specific kinds of gun owners, and especially the industry as a whole. I mean, you kind of paint yourself uh, in a lot of ways as the only holdout to a culture of like racism and hatred and fear. Um, so, I, you know, I, that, that's my overarching criticism. Maybe you can dissuade me of some of these conclusions that I've come to. I want to give you an opportunity to, to give your view of of, of the book as a whole, what you were trying to accomplish with it, and and why you went about it in this way. Um, well, boy, there's a lot in there. Uh, yeah, yes, I'm <laughs> um,
1: sorry. Yeah, that's quite that's quite a lead-in. Um, so, I, I guess I would invite you to ask questions and um, poke and prod as I go through, here. okay? And certainly interrupt me because I, I don't quite know where to to start with all of that.
0: Um, yeah, I'm sorry. That was that was uh, certainly a, a broad. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: View of the book as a whole. That's but, okay. Sounds uh, like you've been sounds like you've been saving up on it. That's okay though. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'll start with um, let's start with the the racism thing that you brought up because that has sure. been. I think I think some folks either that I worked with in the industry or that um, have just sort of read, you know, a, a quick uh, note about the book or some post or something. Um, I argue that um, acceptance of racism. Mm-hmm and furthering of racism came to be a thing that was used, utilized by the NRA, um, not in a purposeful overt way, but as a way to keep society ginned up in fearful and politics at, um, which I think some of these things, not specifically, but I've listened to you and some of them, you've been quite critical about the degree to which, um, guns, Gun owners, the NRA, have been um, central in the culture wards. It's um, quite frustrating to me, but I know sure. um, several several um, examples of times when I was at an industry trade show or some such thing where clearly offensive, overtly racist things were, for instance, displayed on T-shirts. Um, mm-hmm. And thousands of people saw them at industry events and said absolutely nothing. And many people gave these generally guys that were wearing these shirts or hats or whatever, gave them high fives and like, where can I buy this thing? Um, people at the NRA, at the NRA, they, they walked in and out of uh, trade show booths, hundreds of them. Um, and I, I don't mean to say that people in the industry are walking up and down aisles with white hoods and are overtly racist. In fact, most people in the industry that I know, I don't think they are. But much like our national politics has come to a place where it's okay with looking the other way at racist things as long as it drives your preferred political outcome. Um, Those are the things that I experienced. And I think the NRA kind of pioneered that starting 15, 18, 19 years ago, wherever you wanna say, and I know you've had Tim Mack on. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know where the NRA kind of dove into the culture war or sort of um, started leading the culture war, perhaps after Columbine, given the, the tapes that have been recently been discovered. Um, but racism became a tool for the NRA and the industry, you know, never shut it down, I guess is what I would say. Um, I don't mean that, that people were racist. I just mean they were okay with using racism. Um, I didn't have a particular aim with the book other than to um, explain what happened to me and try to explain to readers what, I th- what the role of the firearms industry and firearms in our nation and our nation's politics. I think that it has had and continues to have an outsized role in politics. Um, Guns are important. The Second Amendment is important. Guns are a symbol of power and of cultural connectedness, much like I explained about, you know, so many of the best parts of my life. Um, And nefarious organizations that realize that, such as the NRA, can use those sorts of connections to do very powerful and eventually destructive things to our politics and to gun owners, I believe. I, I, this, my book is a plea to reasonable gun owners to say, stop letting the, the radicals with the mic dictate everything that is branded gun owner. I, I, I'm frankly, I'm done with that. Um, <laughs> I don't think all gunners buy into the sort of extremism radicalization that the NRA touts. On the other hand, far too few stand up and criticize it. Far, too, In fact, now to your point about me and the industry, it got to a point where literally nobody in the industry would ever say a critical word publicly about the NRA ever, no matter what they did. Still, still hardly have. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. B- because why? We, b- because you got run out, fired, castigated, chastised. We were told that all gun owners you have to stand together with all gunners no matter what. Um, I know you've had David French on to talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, I believe that, the, as David does, I believe that the um, that the verdict was legally correct. I also, like David does, believe that Rittenhouse was exceptionally morally incorrect. And I believe that the people in and around the firearms industry and the influencers who are holding Rittenhouse, Rittenhouse up as some sort of hero, are, are 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 creating um, terrible turmoil for responsible gun owners, and I think they do um, guns and gun owners in the nation an incredible disservice. So I guess that's enough to get us started. Um, I know, you <laughs> yes. had all sorts of stuff that you asked me about, yeah, but that sort of gives like you a picture a, of where I'm at.
0: Yeah, uh, and and I appreciate you uh, given given a broader view like that. Since you know, I started off with a sort of general critique there. Uh, this is obviously fairly harsh, but but I, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I get back to, like, th- I, I do think that there are certainly reasonable ways to uh, criticize uh, the, the individuals that you're talking about there. You know, people who are um, making a hero out of uh, Rittenhouse's actions or the NRA's rhetoric uh, that it's used uh, throughout the years and some of the most overheated stuff that they've that they've put out or the president Trump, your former president Trump, um, you know, there's there's plenty of room or even the industry and there's, and there's way, there's plenty of room to talk about how, uh, you know, fear can drive gun sales. Like, I, I don't, I don't think that any of that is uh, off limits by any means.
1: Is there plenty of room? I mean, uh, what gun industry leaders, what trade group leaders, mm-hmm. what gun company executive, What ammunition executive, if there is plenty of room, where is the criticism?
0: Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a fair point uh, about the industry. You know, in my experience, from my point of view, and I'm only 34, so I haven't been around as long uh, as you were in the industry, but the industry doesn't tend to like to get involved in politics much at all. They don't talk to me much about anything political uh, and that they do default to whatever the NRA's position happens to be. And it probably does have a lot to do with uh, the Smith and Wesson uh, example that you you talk about in the book where Smith and Wesson struck a backroom secret deal with the Clinton administration to exempt itself from uh, the lawsuits at the time, liability lawsuits that were being filed and um the industry or the 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 gun rights side the n r a in particular uh, you know generated a lot of backlash to this concept, and so the industry is much less uh individually vocal uh about politics although certainly perhaps not in the other direction right i mean uh, yeah same very so vocal. there's there's probably some point to this yeah. well
1: i mean i tell the story i guess i would I can appreciate how that may seem to be the case, but it 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 seems that way because there's also no assumption inside the industry that the group think permeates all people, and therefore, when you walk into a booth or do an interview, it's assumed that you think that you're part of the same devout church devoted church that everybody else is and I think an exceptional example of why I would take issue with the assertion you just made is um the last day of the two thousand seventeen shot show. Um, by chance, fell on Inauguration Day um, in 2017. That was Donald Trump's inauguration. Mm -hmm. And if you were right that the industry really doesn't take, you know, doesn't assert itself into politics or whatever, it would have been just another day. It wasn't another day. The NSSF, which essentially is the industry trade group for all the industry and runs SHOT Show, all but shut down the SHOT Show to pipe in the audio for the inauguration in over the entire trade show. So if it's, I would take issue with the staying out of politics issue. It's so, it's so into politics that it's in it all the time, just ardently for one side, no matter what, no criticism. And, and the SHOT Show came to, a sta- came to a standstill. And for anybody who's ever been at a trade show as big as the SHOT Show, I mean, tens of thousands of people who move, you know, from an aerial view, look like frenetic ants moving around. Everything came to a stop. Um, that's not an industry that stays out of politics.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't mean to say that they, the industry has no political preferences or no political action. All I mean to say is that, uh, they, you're not going to necessarily see a lot of individual companies making political statements about individual issues, uh, on, on a regular basis. Um, they tend to default to the gun rights movement and specifically the NRA for that, um. Uh, and that a lot of that can be perhaps attributed to uh the political atmosphere of i mean there isn't unfortunately oftentimes there isn't much of a, a choice for uh a lot of uh, gun owners or the gun industry in terms of uh, political affiliations because you know if you look at the race between even Hillary and and Donald Trump or Donald Trump and and um, Joe Biden, like the policy differences were extremely stark when it came to guns, um, and so not that that means that Democrats can't be gun owners, of course. Um, but th- th- there is motivation beyond just—well, um, I think you're you know, right. Blind
1: devotion for this. I think you're right, but I think that's a self-fulfilling prophecy from the NRA. It is that way because the NRA made it that way. Um, the NRA made the purposeful decision to go all in on the culture war to castigate every democrat no matter what and after um seven or eight or 10 years of that um and and with just embarrassingly foolish hyperbolic rhetoric that nobody should have ever believed but yet mm-hmm. yet people either did believe it or say they believed it or marched to it repeated it you know um and eventually you're going to have an atmosphere like we have now um or like we had in 2000 you know february whatever that was 2017 whatever that day was um mm-hmm. so I I hear you, and I can appreciate that. But I guess sort of the one of the themes in my book is that the NRA made that, and the firearms industry towed the line with the NRA. Whatever the NRA, when the NRA said jump, the industry asked how high. So, and there were many times when the industry could have said, "Whoa, slow down, let's do this responsibly." Some tried; and they were run out of town.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, like I said, I think there's when I'm when I'm saying that I think there's room for uh these sorts of criticisms I don't I I mean in my own mind like here on the reload like <laughs> generally speaking I think these are fair things to say whether or not you know the industry or the NRA doesn't like it is not as relevant to me yeah it's what what I the problem that I see with this is like yes I can I can go with you in these sorts of criticisms I can say that there's legitimacy to these these complaints that you have uh about rhetoric especially and about the direction of uh, you know making the gun rights movement into a, a single party issue, um, yeah that's obviously there's there's plenty of drawbacks to that, and there's plenty of legitimate criticism but the problem with the book from my perspective on that point is that it seems like you overcorrect and go the complete opposite direction that uh, that you are using overheated rhetoric in reference to a large class of gun owners, um, you know, I mean, myself included, as you probably could see behind me here, people who who like um, uh, AR-15s or, or other popular rifles of that style, or even uh, polymer lower handguns. You know, you call them, uh, was it Tupperware, right? Like, mm. um, and, and and it seems that most of your advocacy is dedicated to one party, the the Democratic Party, in the other direction. So that I guess that's the the core conflict that I see um, in the book. And it, so can you address that at all? Like, do you think I'm overreading it? Do you, what is the explanation there? Sure. Um,
1: and by the way, Tupperware guns is not something I made up. That was a term sure. long ago made up to essentially a competitive term to make fun of at the time, just glocks. Right. But, um, right. Um, became, it became somewhat ubiquitous. Um, so I, I, I describe those sorts of guns, um, as the way the industry did the way the industry first did, um, It wasn't all that long ago that NSSF itself, again, the trade group for the entire industry, would barely allow any AR-15s to be even displayed in the main part of SHOT Show and nothing tactical could be displayed. Those weren't rules I made up and it's not something, um, you know, I developed as some sort of story for the book. That's the truth. Um, So there was a time when the industry itself would not allow these things. As far as, I don't have anything against AR-15s themselves, right? Nothing. Or people that own them and use them responsibly. Same with polymer pistols. Um, Although I'm a steel frame guy, as you might guess, or steel or aluminum metal frame guy, but that doesn't doesn't mean I, I have anything against the guns. What I do have something against is a culture where they become almost domineering in people's lives. People, the NRA elevates them to a place, I think as you have noted, where they're a central component of a culture war. Where um, this sort of faux machismo, sort of faux patriotism thing, like you can't, you know, it's almost, it's celebrated almost as if you can't be manly if you're not willing to take your AR out, open carry to frighten people on street corners with. Um,
0: That I have a problem with. and look, I can see that there are people like that and that I, too, don't uh, like that approach. I find it uh, uh, distressing and, and wrong. But <clears throat> but it, it, my problem with the book is that, it fe- and maybe this wasn't your intention, and maybe uh, you can correct that here or, or, you know, state that here, but, but uh, it felt like you were applying that to everyone who likes these kind of guns. It, it felt like um, it, it came across to me, at least— uh, much broader than just singling out, say the 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 men at the the Black Lives Matter protest who confronted your son, right? For instance, like I think a lot of people in the gun community and and uh, outside of it would find that that scene to be very duh, you know d- d- terrible, right? Right. <laughs> to, to some someone to do that, um, uh, you know, is the way that you've described it, and uh, but that's not most people who own air AR- 15s are the most popular rifle in the country and, and so there's a lot of reasons to own these guns you, you you see you boil it down quite a lot to like intimidation or to kill people uh you know to to uh, as as a cultural symbol of this broad of this broader um intim- you know <laughs> uh racist uh, hateful movement right like i i mean so that that's where like to me it, it gets um Perhaps the message gets lost or gets confused in uh, in a much broader attack, right? Well, um, I guess I
1: would take issue with you on that. I don't, I think what I, one thing I would say is that at current in the gun movement or in the gun world, the loudest people in the room are the ones that you just describe and the ones that I castigate. Um, and I'm calling on responsible gun owners to say, no, those people aren't us. And it's not just um, people at one rally in northwestern Montana. There was a couple hundred of them here with open carrying AR-15s and you know their tactical vest and all, all this sort of thing um, showing up. Why? I don't know what to frighten high school kids or to shoot an air in a high school kid. I, I don't know what they thought they were going to do. Um, but what about the men who march into the Michigan Capitol and scream at lawmakers, open carrying. What about, I could go on and on and on and on. And I hear you. I believe there are millions of responsible gun owners who are not okay with that, who absolutely are not okay. Um, On the other hand, where are they? Why are they not speaking up? The people who have been appointed as leaders of the firearms industry and of this movement. So industry leaders, industry executives, the trade group, NSSF, the trade group itself have said nothing about any of that. Nothing, not a single criticism that I know of. So what, who I am calling on, I'm calling on the people who you describe as good, responsible people who own guns, whatever kind of gun they are, um, you know, polymer frame gun, AR-15, whatever it is, I'm calling on them to say, we're not okay with that. All gun owners aren't the same. I'm not like that guy screaming at that lawmaker in anger in Michigan with his AR in hand near the trigger in a building you know for all to see. That's not what responsible gun owners do. Um, so I guess what I would say is I, I haven't labeled all gun owners that way. Gun owners are letting themselves be labeled if they do not stand up and castigate the irresponsible behavior. I want to give you credit. 'Cause I think that you, this podcast, your writing, um, your approach, your thoughtfulness gets about as close to just real reasoned, rational sort of thought on this as just about anything I've ever seen in twenty whatever year, twenty five years being in and around the gun business. But there's other that it, it sadly I think it's um You're a bit bit too much of a lone voice, I guess I would say.
0: Well, hey, look, I I think that's, um, you know, I I don't think that that that's totally out of the uh, out of left field as far as, uh, you know, more people should. Speak up when they don't feel comfortable with some of the negative things that happen in the industry or in the gun rights movement, whether it's conspiracy theories or uh, open intimidation tactics uh Like the ones in the the Michigan state house uh mm-hmm. that you're you're describing here, um I don't think that those are representative though of most gun owners as i as i perhaps we agree on that point um and that's and so the book made it feel to me like you were m- pushing more into that direction, but you know we, we you've just uh, so I'll tell you Steve,
1: one thing that has been incredibly heartening to me since the book has came out, um, has come out is the degree to which I'm getting outreach from the gun owners that you and I both know are out there and hope are out there. Um, Mm -hmm. every morning I get up and I open my email box or my direct messages or whatever, and I'm just deluged with this. Thank you for doing this. We can't take this anymore. These people don't speak for me. It's about time somebody says something. Um, and they're not from like lefty liberal, you know crazy tree huggers from Berkeley or wherever. I mean, these are ranchers from West Texas and deer hunters from central Pennsylvania. And I mean, hundreds of them. Um, So I know these people are out there and I know that they are similarly frustrated with the degree to which um, this kind of strange gun radicalization has set the course or or controls the messaging across our country and frankly, controls our politics and our policy. As an example, I don't believe it's anti-gun to be in favor of universal background checks. I refuse to believe that. And in fact, universal background checks don't regulate a gun. They regulate people buying a gun. So it's just grammatically, it's improper to say it's anti-gun. It's not anti-gun. So um, reasonable people know that rights in a democracy, especially rights as incredibly powerful and important as the Second Amendment. Must be balanced with responsibility. They have to be balanced with responsibility. And if we as a gun owning community won't stand up and castigate irresponsible behavior, then we are risking everything. And that, I guess so. That's if you, if I think my story sort of gets at how our nation came from an organization wanting to go. Uh, Wanting to do things like go hunting and target shooting and self defense to one that's now parts of it, significant parts of it, celebrate Kyle Rittenhouse or don't say anything about armed extremists at state capitals. Like my book explains how we got there.
0: You know, again, I think that message is, uh, you know, largely uh, one that resonates with a lot of people. Uh, I do wonder uh, how it, uh, do you have concerns here about, you talk a lot about in the book about why you stayed in the industry. And part of it was, for so long, right? You were you were there for quite a long time, and you didn't get out until just recently in 2020. Um, but part of the reason was because you thought you could have more of an impact uh, as somebody inside of the industry, and uh, you had more credibility that way. Now you're you're working for uh, a gun control organization, and don't like. Are you concerned that that undercuts this message that you have? Um, that that working for a group that's seeking uh, tighter gun restrictions is going to, uh, turn off a lot of people who would otherwise be open to the sort of things you're saying here.
1: Um, maybe, um, I don't, I guess I, when I got out, I decided that I was done accepting the framing and the definitions that the NRA had imposed on us as gun owners and on the gun industry. And the NRA, as we just chatted, and, and I know, you know, there's a lot of discussion about the degree to which the NRA, you know, speaks for gun owners here or or you know, how how much power do they really have or whatever. But I can tell you that they're framing and they're sort of um, the way they have put gun owners in a box, a dangerous box, I think still is exceptionally and dangerously relevant. So to your point about to your question exactly, when I got out, I decided I'm done accepting those definitions. When, um, when people call, say somebody like Gabby Giffords, who is a, who is a gun owner herself, somebody who was shot and they label her as something like this evil demon from some planet in star Wars where only evil demons live. Um, I'm, I'm done with that sort of evil castigation. When somebody says that being in support of universal background checks, is the equivalent of some Marxist socialist scheme and these are things I hear. Um, they're not things I make up. I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. I'm done with that. That's just not the way, um, normal, reasonable citizens in a democracy function. Um, no right is absolute. This, this shall not be infringed. That no right is absolute. Your, your free speech rights are, are not absolute your second amendment rights are not absolute. So we lived with, and we live and accept as gun owners infringements, quote unquote, every day, because that's what you do in a functioning democratic society. Um, I think there are ways that gun owners can and should be more support things that are more responsible. Will, will they eliminate all gun crime and gun violence and everything? No, that's Again, to the point, we live in the gray areas in a democratic society, but neither should we say no to everything. Um, I, just think that's, I just think that's dangerous. I think it's, it's bad for gun owners to be placed in that box. I think eventually, politically, that's going to bite us in the butt. And sadly, I think it may lead to these people who are exceptionally radicalized now over guns and will do literally anything over guns. To do something that may jeopardize the democracy itself. So
0: I'm, I'm worried. Right. Um, and, and I understand uh, a number of those points there, and I think there, there's some legitimacy to some of that. But the problem that I see is you have a lot of the same symptoms on the other side as far as uh, demonizing gun owners and demonizing um, uh, people who are to the opposite of The the gun control movement, and and at the same time, you know, I understand that you support some uh, some of the policies that Giffords and others are are pursuing. But it it can be very difficult for somebody who is a gun owner or is not, you know, not uh, supportive of one of these gun control groups to look at them and uh, uh, not, you know, without a skeptical eye when they say that they're for responsible gun ownership. Because, you know, I I can't think of a single example where they uh, weren't defending, pushing the gun restrictions to their furthest point, including things like banning um, handguns, including things like uh, confiscating firearms. I mean, certainly Giffords has not come out in favor of what Beto O'Rourke has uh, said he wants to do, but they haven't come out in opposition to it either. So I think you have a lot of the same issues that you're concerned with. I mean, I've heard even
1: people like Shannon Watts, who I, who I like as a person a lot, says constantly, we are not in favor of gun confiscation. We are not trying to ban your guns. I don't know what else you want them to say other than, I mean, they've said it like hundreds, thousands of times. And as far as not a single example of, everybody, of anybody working for a gun, um, gun safety organization who doesn't want to take, well, here's one. <laughs> like, I don't even know how many guns I have. I literally, I don't Shame. even, I mean, my boys have guns. I, I I don't, I'm not in favor of any of this. So, it, it, I mean, if you just want a single right. example, it, I mean, we're talking.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I don't think that everyone who supports uh, Giffords or Everytown or whatever is in favor of gun confiscation or, or either. my point is that they these groups are uh, always in favor of restricting gun ownership. And I have never seen them work the other direction. Does that make any um, sense I think to you? Like, I understand where you're coming so from. So I think you're, I think there's some hyperbolic
1: um, assertions in your statement that I obviously don't agree with. However, um, I don't think that criticism in the gun realm is a space mm-hmm. that's only occupied by the right or Republican party. Um, I think there's mm-hmm. plenty, there's plenty of things that are misunderstood, misstated, in my opinion, wrong um, policy approaches or policy ideas or, or 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 things of that sort on the left. I, and and um, I, I don't spend hundreds of pages in that criticism. I can tell you in my personal life, I spend a lot of time trying to educate people um, on the left about responsible gun owners, how they should be an ally, how they should not be castigated. And that's why the first part of my book, Steve, is about is a lot trying to explain to people who might not otherwise, who might not have backgrounds like you and I, right? They might be the coastal elites or whatever you want to call them. But I think a lot of, I encounter a lot of folks who literally just don't understand how it is that guns can play a positive role in somebody's life. They just, they don't, they don't conceptualize of it. Um, sure. they, they they literally don't know anybody like that. And so I, I, the first part of the book is try to explain at least in some ways, the way that many gun owners and many Americans view guns as a positive component in and in a cultural symbol um, that is important. And I, and I do think that um, people on the left need to understand that a lot more. Um, then, then you start getting into this chicken or egg thing. And when it, it's tough for them to make the first step when you see screaming, you know, armed men at the Michigan Capitol and they can't find a gun owner to criticize them. Right. They're like, really? You tell us that. So that's, you see, it it becomes this chicken or egg thing. But um, I think you and I share a lot of worries about the degree to which people on the left errantly view or errantly sort of categorize all gun owners.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Uh, Certainly you do spend time in the book talking about your upbringing and firearms and and why you uh, like them uh, and value them as part of your your, uh, life but um yeah so i mean uh, yeah, I, I and i don't, and again i don't i don't want to say that you don't have any legitimate points here that you that you're making because i i do think there there's some legitimacy to a lot of what you're saying in terms of um the the rhetoric and the culture war uh and how that affects the um efficacy of gun owners you know advocating for the, the second amendment but um so uh, you know, I don't want to make it seem like there's nothing you're saying that's that's uh, that's legitimate. I just again, like, like the, the the tone of the book to me was was what I you know took issue. The sort of broad strokes. Um, you know, you, you talk a lot about. Uh, here's just a, a thought for um, you. Talk a lot about. You're very proud of uh, the work you did at Kimber, right? Um, and especially with the expansion of that. That company into a a much bigger uh, player. Now, obviously, Kimber uh, has has disowned you and and has has attacked you since you left and started getting more politically active and uh, working with Giffords. Um, but uh, you know, you talk about AR 15s in the book about how they're um, a military um, a weapon of war, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and that the industry has used this. Uh, gun to um, enrich itself and sell a lot of uh, these rifles, uh, relying on things like the the fact that they were employed with the military in Iraq and Afghanistan, and a lot of veterans are like them, and they had a lot of uh, screen time during coverage of those wars. But, I mean, Kimber became popular through making 1911s which i mean isn't that the same uh basic timeline of how the 1911 became really popular Was a sidearm this is what you get the, when the you Army. when you have a podcast with a gun guy cuz he knows what the hell he's talking about um, <laughs> so i, I think, just you know that that's so that's they see a parallel there and yep. i wonder why you find one more objection yeah um
1: and i think i think that's a very intelligent question and i have thought about that a lot and I think it, I just kind of go back to the point I made about um, how civil democracy functions. Um, it's not that, you know, I mean, a bolt action rifle at one point was a military gun, right? A Mauser ninety six, a Mauser ninety yeah. eight became the I one. I pretty much every 70. kind
0: of action has been employed right. in military use at right. some point or another, right? Um, and I
1: think as a society, we have always struggled with essentially where is the line. in the the gray area in which we have to function. Um, We don't, apparently we're okay with restricting third graders from getting howitzers. So, I mean, so that's like a no debater, right? Um, We are debating, it seems constantly, whether um, this semi-auto or fully auto or whatever three round burst, AR-15 with 10 round magazines, 30 round magazine, however, we're debating that, that's in the gray area. We've accepted as a society, um, generally speaking, handguns, bolt action rifles, things that used to be military guns but aren't now. And I think it's important that we understand that all guns aren't the same and that, yes, 1911s were obviously a military sidearm for a long time, but they're mostly, I mean, almost all handguns are generally a defensive handgun or a defensive gun, right? They're not. They, they, although they are used offensively and can be modified, and some cartridges are more offensive in nature than defensive in nature. Generally speaking, handguns are thought of as a self-defense tool. Certainly, something like the nineteen eleven, which is generally you know a low-capacity seven, eight, nine-round sort of gun, is mm-hmm. not and a limited range. Um, I don't know what would you say effective range on a forty-five is. I mean, a, a few dozen yards, um, right? Um, it's different than something that's more modern. Um, has a much larger effective range. Has a much larger magazine capacity. Is was much. It has been much better engineered to be an offensive gun instead of just a defensive gun. Um,
0: and and so. Well, can I take one issue with that? Sure, sure. Just um, I, I understand what you mean as far as like rifles. Obviously, have a much more effect, much longer effective range than a handgun, but. If you're talking about like the criminal use of firearms in the united states o- obviously handguns are used far more often much, than much than rifles yeah or much shotguns more. yeah much uh, more. so that's that's the only thing where like i was i understand what you mean by offensive like in a military context, certainly that distinction makes sense, but in a civilian context uh handguns are are generally far more involved with crime because they're small and concealable, which is what criminals generally prefer yeah. and then um, you know, rifles have been used in some very high profile and uh, the AR-15 in particular in very high profile crimes for sure, uh, which you detail in the book, but, um, but generally speaking, handguns make up the, the majority of, of, uh, criminal use of firearms in the United States and elsewhere. So that, I guess that's where like that distinction falls flat with, with me personally a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're absolutely correct. And that's why I think we don't have we don't have one issue. Like when people say the gun issue or the gun violence issue, like it's not one Mm -hmm. thing. It's, it's, there are multiple reasons why, um, there's a reason why you, what you say about handguns is true. There's a reason why what we know about AR-15s is true. They're not the same exact reason. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I focus on AR-15s a lot in the book, not so much because of the intricacies of the policy things that we were just talking about, but because of the sure. dangerous culture that has spun up around the AR-15. This okay. worship, this glorification, this um, this this sort of lifestyle where guns are anything and everything to you. And again, not all gun owners are like this, but the ones that are, and the degree to which we as gun owners empower it without castigating it as irresponsible, I think, has become an exceptionally visible part of gun ownership, um, a dangerous, visible part of gun ownership. And I don't think that's to any of of responsible people's benefit. I don't think that that's that's not something good. Um, Sure. And and that's why. You know, I you could say that I elevate or I focus a lot on AR-15s in the book. I do it because the industry and the culture focuses on it a lot. Like I Mm -hmm. didn't, I I guess I would, you know, in simplistic ways, I would say, well, I didn't pick that as the cultural symbol. The industry and these people picked it as a cultural symbol because you don't see, you don't see come and take it flags with a 1911 on it. You see come and take it flags with an air 15 on it. That would be a cool flag though. (laughs) uh,
0: Maybe, maybe,
1: maybe Steve's going to have something new to sell on his website, but but you get my point.
0: Um, Yeah, I understand what you mean. Although I would, I would certainly draw a distinction. That uh, that you don't between the people like those who carried guns into the Michigan Capitol, uh, or who you know c- confronted your son during the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, and people like Matt Best from Black Rifle Coffee and Demolition Ranch and some of these other groups, um, Military Arms Channel that you that you uh, name in this book specifically. I mean, you talk about how Black Rifle Coffee, for instance, was uh, was uh, the used in the Rittenhouse uh, case and and during the Capitol riots, and that's true, right? And I understand what you mean as far as, like, some of the people that clung to this uh, image that they built happened to be, you know, fringe extremist types. But, you know, at the same time, Black Rifle Coffee and Matt Best went out and did, to uh, a lot of criticism from those types of people, uh, repudiated the, the that association, uh, even in the New York Times, like they did a whole,
1: yeah, and they caught uh, t- and they caught tons of grief for it. And I guess
0: that they did, but but I want to just point out that there's, uh, to me, like I still see a, a pretty distinct uh, difference between somebody like Matt Best, who's who's um, you know, uh, in this culture that you're talking this sort of tactical um, stuff, but he does it oftentimes tongue in cheek. I know that perhaps doesn't um, mitigate things for you, but but. Uh, you know, he makes clear distinctions or at least tries to publicly make clear distinctions between what he's doing and what the people that you're concerned about and that I think most people are concerned about uh, are doing and how they're co-opting what he's.
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, doing. Um, and and to be clear, I'm less critical of Matt Best in the book than I am. In fact, I compliment his marketing skills and, and the degree to which Black Rifle Coffee has become ubiquitous. On the other hand. I think that the situation that you just described with Rittenhouse and Black Rifle Coffee, and the degree to which they first tried to do the right thing, did in my opinion try to distance themselves, and then they got castigated, and then they kind of walked that back. And like it it demonstrates to me the degree to which if you if you conduct your business without proper um, eyes on responsibility, sometimes you can't control where it goes. Um, in fact, a lot of times you can't control where it goes, and I think that's. A lot of times, our radicalized politics, um, people think they can start this little campfire and just sort of stay warm by it, and they wake up in the morning like, oh, geez, it's dry and the wind's blowing. Like, this thing's getting away from us. And I think that's what Black Rifle Coffee has done in some ways. It normalized um, and and minimized the degree to which guns are a serious, um, you know, very, something that requires an exceptional amount of responsibility, and it trivialized them to the point that then it sort of gets away from us and it permeates society in very dangerous ways. And sometimes we don't get to control where that goes. You have to control it with responsibility before it gets to that point. So when when Black Rifle Coffee had, had sort of these tough times of um, seeing their logo in the Capitol with a guy who's trying to zip tie senators, for God's sake, um, and then trying to walk that back and trying to distance themselves from it like, it's it's too late once you've let the brush fire spread. You, you, responsibility has to happen before that.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just don't see what they were doing as somehow uh, condoning that that action or or encouraging it. Um, and I you know I don't think that having fun with firearms necessitates that you're irresponsible. Uh, but you know, I, I, like I said, I agree with some of the larger uh, criticisms that you have of the culture and board aspects of of. Uh, what we've seen over the last several decades, and, and so forth. So, um, and you know, I, I would encourage people to read the book for themselves uh, and, and make their own judgments uh, about you know what you have to say and whether I'm, whether I'm being too harsh or or what you know. So, I, I, like, I would encourage people to read it themselves. I know we we could talk for another yeah. two hours. Well, maybe we uh, should sometime. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, certainly. I'm I'm always happy to to you know my my thought here with the Reload is that I, I, whether or not I agree with somebody's perspective 100% of the time, or, or even 0% of the time, is if they're somebody who's been um, influential uh, in, and you've been in quite a lot of, of media with this book, uh, and I figured, you know, why, why, why would I not have the person on to voice their their view um, and then get to have a fruitful, I think, discussion about it. And, and that's what I'm going for with. Sure. sure, And I, I, and and
1: like, like I told you, I think just before we hopped on, I just want to say to you, I appreciate your thoughtful, um, reasoned and rational approach. I don't expect that you and I agree on everything. Just like I don't expect that I agree, uh, with anybody on everything. I mean, that's just not the way functioning societies and democracies should work. Um, and it's sort of to the point, Of our larger conversation we as gun owners shouldn't just like march in lockstep never look ourselves in the mirror never open ourselves up to criticism never think we should be responsible take the word of some as it's turned out incredibly corrupt and in my opinion nefarious group like the nra and and sort of brand all of us like these are things that lead to bad outcomes so i really appreciate you even where we disagree, your your thoughtfulness and rationality about it, and you reading the book and having me on, thanks.
0: Certainly, yeah. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm always happy to have anyone on from uh, any of the gun safety, gun control groups, uh, Giffords, or Evertown. or uh, and I'm always happy to have people on from the NRA or or Second Amendment Foundation or whoever uh, to give their point. But obviously, I'm sure the NRA would not agree with your characterization of them on this podcast. They don't always agree with the things that I, I write either, but I still want to give them uh the opportunities at any time to uh to speak for themselves, right? Just like I've done here with, with uh with you. So sure, sure. I'm uh doing my best just to I don't want to like <laughs> I don't believe in hiding away people's uh opinions. You know, I believe in challenging them or asking hard questions, but uh I don't see any good outcome from from, uh, you know, keeping somebody's uh, views away from my audience. I don't think that makes any sense at all. So I really appreciate you coming on. Good on
1: on you. And and, uh, thanks for having me. And and maybe we'll do a follow-up. Thanks, Steve. Absolutely.
0: Okay. And I'm here with contributing writer, Jake Fogelman, to give you guys a little bit of a news update. This week, we have two stories, actually, that are uh, connected to one another that are also something that we sort of predicted a while back, right? Uh, so Jay, can you give us a little bit of detail about what, what's happened? It's just, you start with uh, California.
2: Right, so uh, like you said, you uh, as soon as Texas came out with that uh, restrictive abortion law, SB-8 wrote a, a nice piece saying how this will inevitably, if it's allowed to stand, inevitably will be used against guns. And sure enough, this Saturday, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom of California, one day after the Supreme Court uh, allowed Texas's law to stand, Um, While litigation is ongoing um, in the state, he came out and put out a statement basically saying, if the Supreme Court's going to let this go, we're going to, I'm going to direct my attorney general to come up with our own version of the law that targets assault weapons uh, and ghost gun kits. Same terms, he said it's going to be a a $10,000 damages that private citizens can seek if they sue anyone selling a ghost, ghost gun or an assault weapon. Um, So pretty much exactly as we predicted, Uh, a blue state politician said, you want to do this with abortion? Well, we'll do it with guns.
0: Yeah. And FPC, Firearms Policy Coalition, actually predicted this as well in their brief in the the Texas abortion case. um, And that essentially this could be this strategy. Whatever you think about uh, abortion, obviously, or guns it's pretty obvious that this strategy is going to be used if it works and right. so far it has worked because it's kept uh, these abortion rights groups or planned parenthood from being able to enjoin people against using this law to sue them and so it doesn't it's not a foolproof thing it's not a forever thing cuz once suits start to happen then there can be more actual uh of the sure. issue yeah uh, but certainly given how this has gone so far given that the law has been able to take effect and remain in effect to this point you're probably going to see people replicating it and i think you're you're going to see more of this come along. now i think the newsom's comments are a bit odd because, well, one, that the timing was weird, because he said this, I think it was like the next day, and he said it at like 11 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, it was a Saturday is, evening, like which is strange. Yeah, it was, and it was Saturday, it was, so I guess that's like 8 p.m. his time, but, but it was very weird timing. And then on top of that, like his threat was odd, too, because he was threatening to do things that are already illegal under federal law. Or, sorry, not federal law, but California law so they've already outright banned uh the sale of of certain kinds of so-called assault weapons and uh they've already banned the manufacture of so-called ghost guns without uh serialization and and registration and they've banned the selling of kits of of tools required to make uh your own firearms at home so it's weird to say that they're going to use this tactic on the same thing they've already just banned through the regular course of traditional litigation uh, legislation. Uh, whereas Tish James in New York, the attorney general there, the one who's uh, suing the NRA, who's uh, is obviously very um, pro-gun control uh, and has, you know, it's called the NRA a terrorist organization and is trying to dissolve them. She's, you know, her positions on on gun policy are, are fairly straightforward. She had a more interesting comment when she was on The View. Uh, she had just dropped out from the governor's race and decided right. to, to stay as attorney general, but she's weighed into the same conversation. What did she say? Yeah, so uh, she was asked about it on the panel and she
2: essentially said, yeah, I saw what he did and I, I wanna follow his lead. I'm gonna direct my uh, other state officials in New York to follow something similar. But she, what was interesting about her comments, she attached it more to a strategy for getting around the PLCAA, the Protection for Lawful Com- Commerce and Arms Act, which is federal law mm-hmm. that sh- essentially shields manufacturers and dealers of firearms from liability if someone uh, who lawfully uh, comes to own uh, a firearm goes on to commit a crime. You can't just sue, you know, Smith and Wesson or Glock or whatever for someone using a crime for a a lawful product. But she, I guess, thinks it's a a strategy to get around that. And so that's why she's interested in pursuing this.
0: Yeah, that's much more interesting than what Newsom was saying, just because it's more realistic in my mind. Uh, Using this strategy to outlaw assault weapons and and ghost gun kits uh, doesn't make sense because they've already just done that directly. They they aren't trying to they don't need to enact any sort of special techniques to try and judo their way around pre uh trial enforcement right uh, which is the whole point of this strategy that's well the not only that idea not only that but, but with, with with this stuff it's but with james it's you know yeah the, they've been trying to find ways around plcaa for a while and so this that's where this kind of strategy would make more sense yeah i agree back to newsom just
2: for a minute Uh, not only are the products already illegal under state law but it's not even really analogous to the texas situation because you know whatever you think about abortion it was constitutionally in in row uh, was considered a constitutional right whereas assault weapons and ghost guns haven't yet been adjudicated by the supreme court to be a constitutional right so if it was going to be analogous he would have to say if anyone has a handgun in their home you can sue them for ten thousand dollars or something like that and the fact that he right. wasn't willing to go that far tells me it's a his comments were a little bit more of maybe symbolism or kind of like a political statement
0: more than an actual mm-hmm. strategy for gun control yeah i think that's fair i mean uh, th- that that's what makes sense and that so using this strategy would be designed to uh enact something that is otherwise likely to get struck down right in court or likely to get enjoined uh, you know immediately right you know, something that's going to get a preliminary injunction issued against it to prevent the law enforcement of a state from from enforcing the law you know sure. the attorney general or or the police in the state the judges can easily enjoin those people from doing anything in regards to the law it's much harder to enjoin the entire population of the state right that because okay. that's that's what this strategy is set up to do it's it says that you know other people can private citizens can enforce this law not the actual law enforcement representatives of the state so right. that that's the unique thing that's the novel concept here i think that eventually it'll it'll get worked out in the courts i don't think the courts are going right. to allow this sort of work around to to take effect, especially because you're seeing it spread now, not just in these uh, gun control comments, but also with uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who announced um, the exact same sort of strategy, but targeted at um, um, critical race theory being taught in schools or even in at private companies. So, you know, this is going to snowball into everybody's pet issue. They're going to, whatever is the hot thing, you know, like like CRT or gun control or abortion, whatever is like the, the animating issue for a particular party that some state somewhere that's controlled by that party is going to try the same tactic uh, until the court does something about it. So right. it'll be interesting to see where they end up and how far down this road we go of like <laughs> trying to incentivize everyone to sue the, everyone. Right. Um, you know, as as some sort of novel enforcement tactic, but I doubt that'll be our. I doubt it'll shake out that way, uh, and not just because, you know, I think uh, Duke's Jake Charles made a had had an op-ed uh, discussing this, where essentially his argument boiled down to the idea that the court won't allow this on guns because they favor gun rights over abortion rights. I think it's going to be a a bit less uh, of a partisan uh, black and white reason that the court wants to get rid of this tactic. I don't think they're going to look kindly on this for even uh, rights that they favor more than other rights, or however you sure. want to put it. I, I just think that this kind of tactic is something that's, uh the courts are not going to look kindly on trying to evade them, basically, with, with these novel approaches um so we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes um we'll see how these things shake out if they all materialize into actual legislation that actually passes uh because i think that's that's a big if but it's not impossible by any means and sure. Chris james as far as the gun policy goes that's the one those comments make more sense because yeah the the gun control movement has been a trying to get around that liability since the 90s when it was the whole law was uh predicated on the, this tactic of of trying to sue gun manufacturers uh over the criminal use of, of firearms so we'll we'll see where it ends up though yeah uh, I, but hey uh well go ahead what do you got I
2: was just say just one uh to your point about new york trying to get around this they had that public nuisance law earlier this year where they kind of they uh, adjusted their their mm-hmm. legal terms to allow for more lawsuits against gun manufacturers and I just read I think Cam Edwards has a piece in bearing arms that the firearms industry is actually suing them for that so depending yes, on how that litigation right. goes it could affect her comments that she made about using this strategy for the PLCAA if that gets shut down it's, it'll be hard to see how she can pursue this strategy to to get around
0: it as well yeah but obviously politicians are never quite dissuaded completely from achieving these sorts of goals just because the courts keep striking down their efforts. Uh, We've certainly seen that time and again, Uh, but uh, that's all we've got for this episode. Uh, If you want to join the reload today and support what we're doing, uh, you can actually do that for less than normal because we're having a sale. We had a flash sale. Actually, we, we started with a Uh, A limited number of spots, but that sold out so fast that, uh, you know, the interest was so great that I just decided we should extend that. So it's 20% off all monthly or yearly memberships and all of our gift cards. So uh, you can give the reload as a gift if you want to someone else who appreciates sober, serious firearms reporting and analysis. Uh, But we will be back with you again next week. We're actually not taking a week off. We've booked some good interviews uh, coming up here. So we're going to keep rolling, uh, even through, through Christmas. So, um, make sure you tune in. We'll have something for you to listen to while you're on break.